Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com again, and let me welcome you back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, which is now, of course, brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio for a free trial and 10% off. Go to Squarespace.com slash CBS Sports and use the offer code FUN. That's FUN at Squarespace.com slash CBS Sports. All right, let's get into it. We are obviously... Uh, in terms of college basketball, right in the middle of championship week. And so I know the focus should be on college basketball players playing college basketball, but this is also uh, a big stage for the college basketball players who happen to double as NBA prospects. And with that in mind, uh, I wanted to talk to a guy who uh, knows this side of this conversation as well as anybody in the country, DraftExpress.com's Jonathan Gavoni. I'm in New York because I'm here this week doing TV stuff for CBS Sports Network. Jonathan is in New York because he lives here, and I know, Jonathan, you're headed to the Big East Tournament here soon, so I won't keep you uh, too long, but let's start with that event, which means let's start specifically uh, with Creighton star Doug McDermott, former mid-major recruit, now an all-time great in college basketball. Not a day passes, and I'm not even exaggerating, when somebody doesn't ask me about Doug as a pro. So let me start this by asking you, what's possible for Doug McDermott at the NBA level? I think he's going to be just fine. I think he's going to have a, a long and and very good NBA career. Uh, the guy can flat out score, and and he can people need that in the NBA. And he he definitely has a role. There's no doubt that he's going to come into the league and he's going to be able to make shots. And um, he's not just a guy who's a one dimensional shooter. He also plays extremely hard. He he runs the floor well. He scores inside the post. He can put the ball on the on the ground a little bit. He can do a couple of different things. So obviously, there's some question marks about his defense, but at six eight, I think that you're going to be able to hide him a little bit. Um, you know, especially if you, if he's on if he's on a good team. So I think he's going to be fine. I like him as a pro. You know, I, I was talking to Wally Zerbiak about Doug last week, and Wally said, he reminds me, A, he reminds me a lot of myself, is what Wally said, and, and B, um, the most important thing for Doug, it's not a matter of whether he can play at that level, it, it's a matter of him getting into the right system with a coach who believes in him. How important is that, not only for Doug, but for, for practically anybody who might not be a world-class athlete, to be with a coach who will focus more on all of the great things Doug can do as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe not capable of guarding Kevin Durant on the wing, as if anybody's capable of guarding Kevin Durant on the wing. How important is it for him to end up in the right spot? There's no doubt that it's it's hugely important for a guy like him because you know that he's going to struggle sometimes uh, defensively, but if you're willing to accept that, knowing that he's going to, at the very least, uh, you know, give that back to you offensively. And if you weren't to utilize him, bringing him off screens, um, you know, running some, uh, you know, place for him to, in the post, moving him off the ball quite a bit. If you use this guy, he can be quite a weapon for you. But if you come in with a mindset of, oh, this guy can't guard anybody, uh, all he can do is, you know, hang out in the corner and shoot, then he's obviously not going to work, you know. So, but I think that he's going to be drafted high enough that whatever NBA team is going to really want to utilize him because nobody wants to waste their first-round pick. 
So I, I think he's going to be okay. You know, it's interesting. He's gone from a guy, again, who was basically his father, didn't think he was good enough to play in the Big 12, to, to quite literally the best you know, college basketball player uh, in, in the country. Has his stock, so-called stock, um, been, been helped at all by the move to the Big East? In other words, I understand at this point, you know, guys like you and NBA scouts are smart enough to separate you know, who is, who's, who's real and who isn't, regardless of, of league affiliation. I mean, uh, uh, Damian Lillard being an obvious example of that. But does it help Doug at all that, you know, he's doing 45 on Providence. He's putting 40 on St. John's. He's putting 40 on, you know, uh, traditional Big East schools that have traditional Big East, at, Big East athletes. Has that, has that helped him at all? I think it does. Uh, first of all, this past summer, he went to the USA basketball camp and the men's national team and competed against the very best athletes we have in the NBA. And he, by all accounts, more than held his own. He did not make miss a shot the entire week there. So I think that did a lot more for him than, you know, going up against the guys at Villanova and Providence. No offense to them. Sure. So NBA guys were able to see with their own eyes what he looks like against NBA players and he looks terrific. Uh, now, what he's doing now, I think it, it helps that he's doing it, you know, in the Big East. And let, let's be frank, he's improved quite a bit. I mean, his scoring rate is is up. His efficiency is up. Every year this guy gets better. He keeps adding things to his game. So it's not like he was just feasting on, on mid-major guys last year. He He's, do, he's doing it against everybody. Uh, let's go through uh, some of the other guys that you have at the top of the draft. And for people wondering right now, you have uh, Doug McDermott, uh, top 10 in this draft, right around there, correct? Yes. Okay, and then so if I got your top 100 prospects here, you have Joel Embiid at number one, the Kansas big man who is currently sidelined with a back injury. Now, um, I, I, I don't think anybody could argue uh, about Joel going one. I don't think anybody could argue about his potential upside or what he's capable of at the NBA level. On the other hand, I did say um, that he's out right now with a back injury, and though they've said it's two weeks, it's more likely – uh, should be categorized or accurately categorized as a as an indefinite uh, injury. Um, does this? Uh, how much does this affect uh, the possibility of Joel going number one overall? It's definitely scary. There's no doubt about it. You know, once you start talking about a, uh, a big man and 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 injuries, especially a back injury, it's concerning. But I think that we need to get more information here before we can really accurately gauge what this means for him long-term. Um, based on what it sounds like right now, it doesn't sound like it's a terrible thing for him long-term. It's something that he can recover from. It's something that many athletes have dealt with, NBA players. Uh, you know, but we don't, you know, Kansas wasn't exactly forthcoming about this in the beginning. So it's possible that more information will come out, you know, as we go on here. But, I'm not a doctor, and that's always the hardest thing for me to gauge is, um, you know, the medical stuff. I remember when people were freaking out about Jared Sellinger a few years ago and said, oh, he's never going to play a game in the NBA, and his career is over, and his back is screwed, and all this. And guess what Jared Sellinger did, you know, like, has been fine. <laughs> right, <laughs> yes. He's well far exceeded, 
uh, you know, where he was drafted. So um, I, I know that you know, Joel Embiid is a phenomenal talent. Until he gets in with the doctors and, and we get more information, it's really hard for me to say how his stock is affected. As, I'm, you know, as, mu- as much as people want to hear, you know, all these definitive, you know, judgments right now. Uh, no, like, and I think that's probably the smartest way to to frame it. I, I, I guess any sort of back anything on a seven foot frame can be uh, uh, troublesome on on some level, but um, we just don't know the extent of it. Although it should be noted, as you pointed out, you know, this was initially um, publicly diagnosed as a as little more than a back strain, and so. Um, I, I do find it interesting that initially it was like, oh, we're just going to rest him for the end of the regular season, as opposed to he's going to have to miss the end of the regular season. And so then it's like, yeah, and then we'll bring him back for the Big 12 tournament. Then we find out probably not Big 12 tournament, but definitely NCAA tournament. Then we find out probably not uh, NCAA tournament, at least for the first two rounds. So uh, whatever the return date for Joel has been, it's been pushed back now. Uh, I guess three different times, and so that would be a little scary. But but uh, like you said, we'll have to uh, wait. And NBA teams uh, they have uh, great medical personnel. They'll they'll look at this from every angle. Let me ask you this: There's been some suggestions um, throughout the season that maybe he would return to Kansas for a variety of reasons. Now I, I recognize that practically any time you ask anybody not named Marcus Smart or Andrew Wiggins this type of question, you get this type of answer. Is it realistic to think Joel Embiid's going to be a sophomore at Kansas? No, I don't think so. You never know. I mean, you right. can never rule anything out. Every, every year you see a guy coming back that you didn't expect, but realistically you just can't. You just you can't expect that to to, to happen. Um, you know, it's just just too much risk involved, especially now that you're bringing the medical stuff in. And that's the biggest fear is that when you come back, a guy gets hurt. And I think that he's already seeing, you know, a little bit of what could happen possibly. So um, I think he'll be gone. But if he decides to come back, hey, it's great for all of us. We get to see him in Kansas for another year. You know, like. Either way, it works out for us. One guy who's already said he is definitely leaving is Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid's uh, teammate. And this uh, this is somebody you and I have both seen play for years, somebody who had as much hype entering college basketball as, as, as really anybody in recent years. And early on, people were consistently labeling him a disappointment, questioning whether it'd be any good, uh, uh, debating whether he should even be a top three pick as opposed to the number one pick overall. Uh, as we sit here now on March 13th, he's averaging like 17 and six a game, um, you know, could could reasonably be called the Big 12 player of the year. At worst, he's the leading scorer on a Kansas team that is still technically, theoretically in play uh, for a number one uh, seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, what do you make of Andrew Wiggins' first and final year uh, in college basketball? Did he? Did he? Were the expectations too ridiculous to begin with? What do you make of, of what he's been at Kansas? He was never going to live up to the expectations that people had from him, but I don't think that those expectations were really made by people that had actually seen him play. Right. So I didn't pay too much attention to that. Um, you know, when you watched him in high school, he was very up and down, and and really, the hype around him was was built around what he could be in the future, about his his upside, um, you know, his athleticism, his scoring instincts, um, you know, the different things that he brings to the table. Not about how polished of a guy he was. That was Jabari Parker. 
So I was actually, I think he's exceeded my expectations personally, what he's accomplished as a freshman. Um, you know, that West Virginia game was just ridiculous. But he 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 had a, a number of moments like that throughout the year. Every time I watched him play, I was always kind of expecting to to, to to be more disappointed than I was. I was like, wow, this guy still looks really good. He's still Andrew Wiggins. You hear all this negativity, and then you watch him, and it just doesn't add up. So I think he's going to be great. Uh, I really like him long term. He has a lot of things he needs to work on still, but he's one guy that I'm really not too concerned about. Yeah, yeah, me neither. And like, I never, you know, I just remember, you know, like I, I think Twitter has plays a, a massive role in sort of creating these conversations, whether the reasonable conversations or not, because uh, practically every freshman who enters college basketball outside of, you know, Kevin Durant or Michael Beasley or maybe even Kevin Love uh, struggles to some degree early, if not a lot early. I know Derrick Rose did it from November to December. He wasn't, I don't want to say he wasn't great, uh, uh, but he was obviously flawed and completely up and down. And then it turned on. And to, to if you could go back, if Twitter would have been a big deal in 2007, 2008, uh, you would have seen a lot of tweets in, in November and December talking about why do people think Derrick Rose is any good? And so I never quite got the idea of, of trying to uh, judge on a grand level uh, Andrew Wiggins after four games or six games or on December 1st, um, but you don't see a lot of that now. To the extent that there are still skeptics, um, uh, you know, there's certainly not as, as many of them now as there was uh, back in November, December, particularly after he got 41 uh, against against West Virginia. Uh, Jabari Parker is another freshman who got a lot of attention, also a Sports Illustrated cover boy before he ever played a game in college. Um, best I can tell, he's the most offensively skilled of the bunch. Uh, somebody who, I, I made this comment to somebody the other day, and I, I wonder if you would agree with it. If you threw Jabari Parker at an NBA game tonight, like he could go get you 15, does that make sense to you? It does. I, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, he... He really is a is a polished guy, um, you know, and what he does is going to translate to the NBA right away, offensively, um, just because he's he's so incredibly skilled. Um, I, he's grown on me quite a bit. He's actually the guy that I was more skeptical about coming into the season, just because, um, you know, you had you didn't see that much of him. Um, his last year or so in, in high school, he was coming back from his injury and he was really out of shape. And um, I, I wasn't sure how athletic he was, to be honest, but um, he's exceeded all my expectations. And pretty much right away, you, I looked at him and I was like, okay, we were wrong. This guy right. can really play. So uh, it's been it's been a pleasant surprise. And, um, and he's such a good guy that, you know, you almost kind of want to root for him because he's such a classy last act um so he he he's going to be a very good offensive player there's still major question marks about his defense and his conditioning still isn't great but he's really really talented i thought it was hilarious to that point uh when the acc awards were given out he actually got votes for acc defensive player of the year and I'm like, listen, Jabari's a lot of things, but he's not the defensive player of anything. He's still the guy who got benched by Mike Krzyzewski at the end of the Notre Dame game because he could not guard uh, anybody. But what's interesting to me is, I guess from seeing him on the summer circuit, I knew he was a shot maker, like a pro shot maker. Like, uh, but 
I didn't realize he was aggressive at the as aggressive at the rim as he's shown to be this year. In other words, um, he tries to dunk more in any given game than most guys do in in a two week span. Like he, when he goes to the rim, he's not trying to get. Uh, creative and lay it in like he tries to dunk on people all the time and uh, it doesn't always work but the aggressiveness is something that should should suit him well at the pro level right oh absolutely and him ending up at duke has probably been just uh you know a real blessing for all of us because they play fast and wide open and i mean their offense is just Really, really fun to watch, and and Coach K, I think, has really enjoyed just taking advantage of all the different ways that he can get Jabari the ball and get him, put him in a position to score. So uh, it's been it's been really fun to watch, and it'll be great to see him here in March. I want to talk to you about the Kentucky guys because the next guy you have in a mock draft is Julius Randle at number four. Uh, he is one of, and I think this might surprise people because. Folks have been down on Kentucky's talent uh, since Kentucky's basketball team hasn't lived up to expectations. I keep trying to tell people they're still probably the most talented team in the country when it comes to looking at NBA uh, possible NBA draft picks. You still have six Kentucky Wildcats among your top 60 um, uh, NBA prospects, which I think is a perfectly reasonable number. It's probably the exact same number uh, I would have. As a whole, though, um, has this had the Kentucky players been a disappointment I guess Julius has been about what we thought Julius would be the obvious drops from preseason mock uh, uh, the mock drafts to to now would would be the Harrison twins what do you make of, of of Kentucky's celebrated roster that hasn't turned into a celebrated basketball team you know as you might remember I wasn't quite on on board to the same extent as others where a lot of people had seven people seven players in the first round and i got a lot of negative comments from kentucky fans say wow you've only got three i mean maybe four i mean what's going on here do you you know do you hate calipari do you hate kentucky why are you doing this and i just was always very skeptical about the idea of throwing together so many super talented freshmen who didn't really know how to play together on the same roster. And I know Cal is a great coach, but it will be a challenge for any coach in the world to, to mold that group into a winning bunch. And everybody said, okay, you look back at, you know, um, Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, that, that, that's a different type of player there. Uh, I think that we all kind of, overrated the Harrison twins to a certain extent, and they've turned out to be um, far less than, than what we hoped. Um, James Young was a guy that, you know, I didn't really know, you know, how to look at him going into the year. I wasn't really a huge fan of his in high school. Um, and But you heard so many great things throughout the summer, and the NBA guys were just raving about him. So I, I think it's... I think that they could still maybe surprise and, and make a run here to the Sweet 16, but um, there's no doubt that you know that these guys are going to have to rethink the way that they're building their roster and whether this really works. Um, you know, just throwing together you know so many top top guys, um, just the makeup has just hasn't worked. You can see that the chemistry is off. You can see there's just you look at, sometimes when I watch Kentucky games, I just watch what's going on on the sidelines on the bench 
there is a lot of noise coming out of there, you know, <laughs> and there's a lot of unhappy faces and just people, the NBA guys that have been to practice this year and said, it looks really, really bad. You know, and it's obviously something just hasn't clicked there with that group. And, um, I think that that's affected Randall to a certain extent, you know. Um, I, I think that just as we say, okay, Parker has been, you know, Coach K has done a great job getting everything out of him. I don't know if we've seen, you know, the full extent of what Julius Randall is just because, you know, the spacing there is so bad. Nobody can make a shot. They don't have a point guard. The ball just doesn't move. And I don't know if that's an ideal situation in which to evaluate Julius Randall. It's funny because people say, well, listen, they're just too young to win at a, at a big level. That's what we know now. That 2012 team made it look easy. It's not that easy. And I agree that the 2012 team made it look easy, and it's not that easy. Uh, but I don't know that youth is genuinely the issue here. Like, uh, let me ask you this. If we took Andrew Harrison and, and, and traded him for Tyler Ennis, Kentucky would be just as young. But then suddenly, would they be an entirely different basketball team? What do you think? Uh, I think that they would be much, much better. You're right. Uh, you, you have to have the right type of youth. Um, you know, I mean, all these guys are kind of coming in. They, they've always been the best player on their own team. And they're just, uh, even in the Harrison Twins case, they never really had good players around them other than each other. And so they just, they only know how to score, how to shoot the ball every time. They have no idea how to play defense. And so that's, that's been really, really challenging for them. You know, uh, speaking of Tyler Ennis, he's a guy now uh, you have projected in the top 10 uh, of this NBA draft. Has he been the biggest surprise of all the freshmen? If the Harrisons have been uh, maybe the biggest disappointment, has Tyler Ennis been the biggest surprise for you? He's, he's, been, he's been way better than anybody thought. Um, you know, he was like a top 25 recruit coming in, and he did average, you know, 21, 22 points a game at the under-19 World Championship this past summer. So we knew that he was good coming in, but he really has exceeded all expectations. He's definitely hit some speed bumps here the last six weeks or so. Um, Syracuse's offense has been stumbling big time, and I think that some NBA guys are cooling on him a little bit, and there's kind of a sense that they want to see him have, um, you know, a, a good HTC tournament, a good NCAA tournament to kind of – because there's a sense that maybe people are figuring him out a little bit um, – but um, there's no doubt he's had a phenomenal freshman year, and he's been way better than anybody thought he would coming in. Uh, remember, you're listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Squarespace, where uh, you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. You know, Squarespace is uh, constantly improving its platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with, and all of the style options you need to create a unique website for you or your business. It's easy to use, but they still have an amazing support system that's available 24-7. The whole thing starts at just $8 a month, and you can get a free trial with no credit card required. Uh, which means you can start building your website today. When you decide to do that, sign up at Squarespace. Make sure you use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support uh, for the Ion College Basketball Podcast. All right, let's finish up here with um, three borderline pro prospects who returned to school, at least in part, to enhance their so-called stock. Now, let me ask you if they did. Uh, three questions uh, brought to you by Squarespace. Isaiah Austin at Baylor. Did he help himself this year? I don't think so. Not at all. He hasn't had a very good year. 
Um, his stats are down in every category. Um, he has not helped himself, no. Yeah, I don't. What's the issue with him? Because at some point, um, you know, he was a projected top ten pick. He was an elite guy coming out of high school, and it's interesting. Like when he had this this season, it was just, you know, he was supposed to be a, a, a skilled guy who can step away from the basket and make shots. Well, the truth is he he can step away from the basket and he can shoot it, but he doesn't really make them that often. He's actually taken way fewer threes this year than he did uh, the previous year. That's probably smart. But then, uh, you know, I actually was talking to somebody at Baylor. They're like, Gary, you have to understand, he's not really playing away from the basket that much anymore. And I'm like, okay, cool. Then why are his rebound numbers still so bad? Like, he, why isn't he an elite-level rebounder? Like, what what is he great at? Besides being tall and and supposedly skilled, like, what's he – he he great he what is he great at and and I can't I can't find it yet. I mean do NBA people look at him and still see all of this upside or do they look at him and see a guy who's now about to finish 2 years of college and really hasn't proved to be a, a dominant consistent college basketball player. Yeah, I think that they they look at him and they see like a, a really soft guy. That's yeah. what that's the biggest concern about him. Is he is he tough enough to play uh, you know, inside in the NBA. And I, I think he's going to get bigger and stronger um, as his, you know, as as his career moves on and as his frame fills out. But the fact that he averages eight rebounds per 40 minutes at the college level at seven feet tall with, with all of his lengths is a major concern, um, you know. And then he really cannot impose his will on anybody, he's, his percentages are very, very low. You know, 45% for two, 32% for three. That's really, really poor for a guy that doesn't really score that often. So what is his role in the NBA, like you said? Uh, I think that he's going to be able to block shots. Um, he can really protect the, the rim. But outside of that, he's a major project. But if he were to end in the draft, I, I still have to think that somebody's going to gamble on him in the second round, you know, take a flyer on him for two years or so and see if they can help him improve. The second guy I want to ask you about, Jahi Carson, who could have, I guess, theoretically entered the NBA draft after last season. I'm not sure where he would have been picked. I'm not sure where he'd be picked now. And He's a spectacular college basketball player on some level, but he's still just a little bitty guard. What do you make of Jahi Carson? Did he help himself this year? I think he would have been drafted higher last year than this. Um, yeah, I think that he started out the year really well, but something hasn't really clicked there with him. And um, it doesn't really seem like the guys at Arizona, Arizona State are going to bat for him and just telling everybody you know, what a great guy he is, what a great teammate he is, what a great point guard. Because, um, you know, people have kind of come out of there saying, Okay, like they can't really wait for him to leave, and right. that that's never, that's never really a great thing. <laughs> no. Um, so his size is definitely a concern. Um, you know, he's he's improved his shooting a little bit, but um, you know, he's got like a one to one assist to turnover ratio, and at, at, at five ten, that's that's not really going to cut it. So um, keep the background checks are going to have a lot to do with where he gets picked because I do think he has a role in the NBA. You look at kind of what Isaiah Thomas is doing and you wonder if he can do the same thing. But, 
you know, he, um, he, he could have helped himself a lot more, I think, this year. Third guy I want to ask you about who was a borderline NBA draft pick type of guy last year, decided to come back, Jarnell Stokes at Tennessee. Has he helped himself with this uh, extra year of college? I don't think so. I don't think that he's made, you know, huge strides um, kind of the way that you may have hoped. He's he's still kind of the same player. You know, his stats are pretty much the same on a permanent basis. Um, he's still really young. I mean, he's only 20 years old. He should just be a sophomore right now. He entered um, college early out of high school. Um People don't really know, you know, what what he does um, at the NBA level. He just kind of bullies people, right. at you know, in college as kind of like an undersized center. And so, you know, he's not a spectacular athlete. Um, so, I, I think he could he could find a niche in the NBA, but he, um, you know, he might have to come back to school for another year. I'm not sure if he's going to do that, but that would probably be my advice, just because he. He, he hasn't really, you know, at least they're winning now, and that's that's a step in the right direction. And so we'll see what kind of march he has. It, with the, with Jarno, is it is it one of those deals where, like, he's built the way he's built. He's not going to grow three inches between this year and next year. Is he sort of, you know, uh, I, I guess I'm not comparing him to Tyler Hansborough, but I just remember thinking it didn't matter what Tyler Hansborough did in college. He was always going to be picked right around the same spot. Like after his sophomore year, after his junior year, after his senior year, he was kind of always going to be picked around the same spot because if you liked him, you were going to always like those things. And if you didn't like him, you were always going to hate those things. Is Jarnell sort of a different version of that? Like my guess is uh, he's wherever he'll be picked, that's about where he's going to be picked for the exact same reasons, almost regardless of what happens between now and then. Does it, it, would you agree with that assessment? Well, hands were winning the lottery after his senior year, so he it worked out pretty well for him. I, I never would have thought he would have been a lottery pick after his you know his second or third year. So he he probably grew on people as the year moved on. Some of that had to do with winning. Um, you know, he did you know trim down his body and um, you know tried to improve defensively, but um, yeah, no, I mean I, I don't I just don't think that people are sky high on him even when he was you know playing at the under 19 world championship this past summer he was playing pretty well you didn't hear a lot of enthusiasm around you know nba guys about him but um it only takes one team to like you and it's very possible that someone really does like him because he, ha- he does have a lot going for him all right well listen i've kept you long enough i know you've got to get over to the garden so hey thanks man uh, for being here for me uh you're the absolute best when it comes to talking about this stuff so i can't uh I can't thank you enough for being here on a, on a Thursday morning. And I want to thank everybody else for uh, for listening to the iPod, uh, to the podcast, to uh, uh, interacting with us on Twitter over at CBSSports.com. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball uh, podcast presented by Squarespace uh, over on iTunes. It's free, so make sure you do that. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest podcast each and every week. So go subscribe. And uh, either, we, either way, I will talk to you again, I guess, on Monday after Selection Sunday. Take care.